Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. You thought you were going to the wrong church, now you know. And it's not be the, chew, you know. It's uh, Bethesda Church. Just stand for the reading of the word. Mark 5 is where we're going today. Mark chapter 5. I got a lengthy reading, but I'm going to move quickly through it. Um, I'm wanting to get to the first part and the last part. And the stuff in the middle matters, but I'm going to go quickly through it. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude, everybody say a great multitude. Everybody say the crowd gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed. They followed after him, and they thronged him. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of blood was dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd, see the crowd, and said, who touched my clothes? But Jesus said to him, you see the multitude, uh, his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, the crowd, and you say, who touched me? He looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, Some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child's not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father, the mother, the child, and those who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked. She was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. I'd like to preach a message entitled today, give him the room. Just give him the room. Jesus wants to do something in this house if we'll just give him the room. I promise you. Let's say a word right now. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. Anoint me, Lord, to speak. Anoint us to hear. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The story in our Bible takes place in the life of Jesus that we just read on an extraordinary day in his ministry. 
one filled with insights, instructions, wonder. Jesus taught the pivotal parable of the sower and the seed on this day, of which he said, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any parable? Then he took a boat to Gadara, but on the way there, this huge storm blew up and their boat began to sink. So he calmed the storm and brought the ship safely to the shore. Once he got to the shoreline in Gadara, he healed the demoniac that lived in the tombs there and sent that man to ten cities as an evangelist. And that guy prepared the way for a great revival that was to come. Then Jesus got back in the same boat that he had saved from sinking in that storm. And he crossed back over into Galilee where he was met by a huge crowd, hundreds if not thousands, vying for his attention. He was immediately approached by this man named Jairus, who was the overseer of a synagogue. And Jairus bowed and begged Jesus, My daughter's at the point of death. Will you come and lay hands on her and heal her and raise her up? Please. I beg of you, there's desperation in his voice. You can just hear it as you read it. Jairus approaching Jesus at all was remarkable, highly unusual. John 12, 42 tells us why. Many of the rulers of the synagogues believed on Jesus but wouldn't confess him openly because of the Pharisees. In other words, guys like Jairus were afraid that if they were seen endorsing the ministry of Jesus in any way, they would lose their job, their position, their prestige, their income. That's why another ruler in Israel named Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night. He didn't want to be seen in the presence of this controversial rabbi, especially asking him questions and trying to get answers. But the difference between Nicodemus and Jairus was this. The little girl, Jairus' daughter, was at the point of death, which made Jairus desperate. Desperation can be a very powerful ally. Desperation can drive you to Jesus when nothing else will. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Isn't that what they say? So in desperation, Jairus recklessly comes to Jesus in broad daylight in front of thousands, willing to lose and risk his reputation and his position and his prestige and his income, everything, if he can just get to Jesus because that little girl, that little girl needs to be healed. She's dying and he's desperate. Sometimes the desperate situations in life are the very things that drive us recklessly into the arms of Jesus. When you're desperate, you don't care, right? You're willing to look like a fool if you have to. If you believe that maybe, just maybe, Jesus can make a difference in your life. I want to encourage you today. If you're in a desperate situation, I got a guy you need to talk to. His name is Jesus. He's the King of Kings. 
and the Lord of Lords. And if anybody can do something about your situation, it is Jesus. Come on now. And so Jairus makes the big ask. Will you come? Will you lay hands on my daughter and heal her? Jesus goes with Jairus, just like that, right? He goes with Jairus. He begins to move in Jairus' life. Now, pay attention to this. Jesus is still surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands. There's people all around him. The Bible says they're thronging him, which means they're pressing on him from every side. The other night, I went to a Saints game, second Saints game I've ever been in. First Saints game, I had the privilege, because of somebody in this church, of sitting in the box of the man who runs the Superdome. There's a guy that runs the Superdome, and he has a box. And thanks to, I won't name his name, but it starts with Steve, I got in to the Superdome. And I sat in a box by the, with the man, with the people that run the Superdome. Man, I felt like a million bucks up there. It was pretty awesome. We, we, were, we were, Valerie and me, Michelle and Steve, we're all up there. and Felt like a million, eating like kings up there. I got a text from a friend of mine. He said, hey, I heard you were going to the Saints game. Are you at the Saints game? I said, yeah, I'm in the box. I'm not in just a seat. I'm in the box of the guy that runs the Superdome, and he goes, that's awesome. I said, where are you? He said, directly across the field in the box of the governor of Louisiana. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, you one-upped me on that one. <laughs> but the other night, guess where I was? I had a friend that invited me. He said, don't get your hopes up. I don't know if I can make this happen. He texted me back. He said, Clear your schedule. I got you in. I was in the box of the governor of the state of Louisiana at the Saints game and the Jaguars. I sure was, sure enough. I sat right next to the Benson's box. I was up, man, I felt so important. I'm up there. I'm waving it. I feel like people are looking. I'm waving, you know, like, yes, it is, it is I, you know, I. Mr. John Bell Edwards was not there, but some of his family was. And, and, and so I just eating like a king, having a great time. But when the game was over, I had parked in a garage. And when the game was over, I, I came out of that along. Like, there was no special exit for the governor's box. I came out with all 100,000 other people. And you talk about people on every side. The throng, man, like going down escalators, you know, like I was in the governor's box, you know, and they're like, who cares? You know, we're all in this together. It was wall-to-wall people. And, and I tried to Uber mistake, right? You can't Uber. There's 100,000 people on the streets out there. It was a mess. Jesus is surrounded still on the way to Jairus' house by thousands of people, a great multitude pressing on him from every side, thronging on him. Here's my point. Jesus is comfortable in a crowd. Crowds don't intimidate Jesus. Crowds don't limit his power. He doesn't shrink back from crowds. And here's proof. 
And, and everybody in the crowd didn't believe in Jesus. you got to understand that, too. It's not like this is a faith-filled crowd. This is just a crowd that's, that's in, infatuated with Jesus. But Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, and he's touched, not even realizing it. This woman creeps up behind him and touches the hem of his garment, and virtue, power, dunamis flows out of his body and touches the anointing, the healing anointing flows out of his body and touches a woman and cures her of a disease she's had for 12 years. And Jesus, you got to understand, like he's God in flesh, but he's functioning as a man anointed by the Spirit and a covenant with God. He only knows as the Father reveals to him, all he knows is the anointing has flowed out of him into somebody, but he doesn't know who. And he's like, somebody touched me. And his disciples are, are, they're just, they're indignant. They're like, of course somebody's touched you. They're thronging you, right? Everybody's trying to get a piece of Jesus here. Everybody's touching you. He's like, but, but somebody touched me because I, I felt power leave my body. So he stops. He's having this conversation with disciples, trying to assess the situation, and he's wanting to know who touched me. Now, this woman was desperate, too. I mean, she was an unclean woman. She had a, a flow of blood that made her ceremonially unclean and, and uh, a host of other issues that came along with that. But yet she was desperate. She made her way to Jesus. Desperation can be an ally. So she gets to Jesus. She touches him. Jesus stops, takes time, has this conversation, takes time. Who touched me? Takes time. The little woman's trembling. She comes up. And she's like, I, it was, it was it, me. And he's like, wow. He explains to her what happened. He's like, woman. You're, you're, my goodness, that's, that's awesome. That is awesome. Good. Good for you. And so this all takes time, precious time to Jairus' situation, right? His daughter's at the point of death, and Jesus is headed to the house, moving in his life, but there's an interruption. And so Jesus then resumes his journey to Jairus' house, and he's, he's got this huge crowd around him, Suddenly, a messenger from Jairus' house shows up and says, it's too late. The girl's dead. No need to trouble the master. Now, because of what we read in our story and the other gospel writer's version of this, I believe Jairus' wife was in on calling Jesus to the scene with Jairus. She stayed home with the girl. Jairus went out to fetch Jesus. She knew where he was. She knew where Jairus was, and she knew that he was on a mission, her husband, to trouble the master. I, as I was reading, are you with me? As I was reading this and studying this, it, it struck me right here. I, we're doing a lot of marriage seminars lately, it seems like, and it, this, this struck me right here. Husbands and wives, if you only knew the power of agreement, then you would seek to trouble the master more often. They agreed together to pull Jesus into their desperate situation, and he was willing to move. One can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. It's not their strength or their synergy, it's their ability to bring God into the situation through a prayer of agreement. You need to seek God together. You need to pray together. You need to hold hands and pray together. You need to take your desperate situations 
with your, with your spouse. You need to bring those desperate situations to the Lord. And if you're single, you need to ask God to give you a spouse that you can get into agreement with. But if you are blessed enough to be married, then God help us to be God help us to be marriage partners that know how to pray together and stand together and agree together in Jesus' name. Now, when the girl died, undoubtedly the mother's heart sank, and she gave up on the mission. She sent a messenger to Jairus and said, let him know it's too late. And when Jairus heard, of course, he agreed with his wife. Don't you know his heart sank too? The blood drained from his face. He broke out into a cold sweat. But thank God, unlike his wife, Jairus was in the presence of Jesus. And Jesus heard what was said and immediately turns to him and says, don't be afraid. Somebody needs to hear what I'm saying. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Remember what you prayed to me? You remember what you said when we started this journey? Believe that. Well, I heard some other news that came in. Don't be afraid. Only believe. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. I want to preach to you for a minute as a pastor. Sometimes when you've humbled yourself, because that's exactly what Mr. and Mrs. Jairus did. When you've humbled yourself and taken the risk of bringing your biggest, most pressing need to Jesus, and you've sincerely asked for his help, and he's even started to move on your behalf, that's when things can go from bad to worse. It's getting quiet up here in this Episcopal church. You were desperate enough to come to Jesus. You were bold enough to ask for his help. You were in agreement. And he began to move in your situation. But then you got a piece of news that it's all going to Hades in a handbasket. Your flesh's immediate reaction, it's normal. It's to say, why would you take your own sweet time, Lord? If you wouldn't have taken time with that woman, you wouldn't have taken time for this other stuff, we wouldn't be here. But now it's too late. It's all over. I, I don't know if I should have ever trusted you in the first place. Your spouse might be saying the same thing. That's normal. It's okay. But before you talk yourself out of a miracle, hear what I'm saying. Let me say to you what Jesus said to this man. Don't be afraid, only believe. I know it's scary. I, I know you've got every reason in the world to fear, and it looks like what you've agreed on is not going to come to pass, and you may even lose what's most precious to you. You may think it's already too late. But if Jesus is already moving in your situation, hear me today. He never starts something that he's not willing to finish. He is not lazy. He's not a slacker. He's not the guy that is a good-for-nothing, starts and never ends. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Paul said to the church at Philippi, we were just there, he said this, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. I'm telling you, not God's not done. If God's moving and it hasn't happened, he's not finished. Don't be afraid. Only believe.
Give God some praise right now. Listen to what he said. The Gospel of Luke says that Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe, and she shall be made whole. Come on now. What if, what if in the face of the worst case scenario, when the pressure was on, you would put your listening ears on? If you would do that, you would hear him speak again. Like you heard him the first time. All right. I'm coming with you. What you said, I'm coming with you. If you would put your listening ears on again, sometimes we quit listening. If you would, my grandmother used to say, put your listening ears on, boy. If you put your listening, not, not ear, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. You can choose to listen. You can harden your heart and not listen. That's really what it is. Jesus quoted Isaiah, talked about people that put their fingers in their ears so they don't. They don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. If you would just, if you would just come back to Jesus again and say, what are you saying in the middle of this situation? You would hear him begin to clarify his, his intentions. Listen to his word again. Don't be afraid. Only believe. I'm going to finish what I started. I started moving towards you, moving in your home, moving in your family. I'm going to transform your girl and raise her from death to life. That's what he's saying because the word is she's died. He's saying, don't be afraid. Only believe. I'm coming with you. I'm going to make her whole. I've got more to say to you. We get discouraged and we, we quit. But I'm telling you, listen up. Listen again. He's got a now word for you, a rhema word right here for this moment, for this time. He's not left you without a word. Everything's going to be all right. I'm going to finish what I started. My God, help us, Lord. Missy, I think of you when you first came here and, you know, you're trying to find your way. You're believing for great things. It seemed like some things went from bad to worse. I know the story a little bit. And, and we're like, what's going on? She's like, what's going on? Janet's praying. James is praying. Missy's praying. We're praying. And, and there's the boys, man. You ever watch Andy Griffith? Anybody ever watch the Andy Griffith show? Uh, on the Andy Griffith show, there's a band uh, 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 called the, 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 the Darlings. They're a band. It's the old country folk up in the hills that play the banjos and the upright bass and stuff. And, and it's hilarious because... Mr. Darlin always talks about his boys like the boys are real excited. And you, I should have I shown it. You know I like to do that stuff. It's not in my notes. But when, when, when they get up on this, when, when, when you look at him, he's like, my, my boys are all excited. And the, the camera pans over to him, and they're like this. <laughs> Miss these three boys, man, during church. They're like over here like, like the Darlins. They're like. I mean, people are going crazy. I'm picking on y'all. I'm so sorry. People are going crazy right there. Like, there, there, there's, there's the cold boys. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world? Like, I'm believing for great things, and it seems to be getting worse. But I'll never forget when all of a sudden, it was Carson, right? Was it Car Carson's like, I want to get baptized. What? What? Oh, Curly comes out of the water, you know, like. It was awesome, man. 
And, and, it, 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 and it started a revolution. It started a revolution in the family. Don't think that when it goes from bad to worse, it's over. There's another chapter coming. God's not finished with you yet. God's not done yet. You keep praying. You keep believing. It looks worse. He's got the power to match. He's got the power to match. Give God some praise right now. Oh, boy, and they're teaching, and they're all involved in this church. I love it. I love it. I love it. Your flesh is going to tell you. The devil's going to tell you. All hope's gone. No need to keep praying. No need to keep believing. No need to keep trusting. But if you'll listen, he's got a word. We'll take care of you. So I'm trying to get to my main point, y'all. That's not even my main point. My main point, I'm trying to get there. Well, I'm, I'm going to try. How long have I been going? 24 minutes. I'm, I'm, not, I'm almost done. At the discouraging news that his girl was gone, Jesus said, don't be afraid, only believe. But he sends the crowd away. Scat. Y'all get gone. Go. Go home. I feel like talking to my dogs, right? Kennel up. Kennel up. Get out, get out of here. Go. Get out of here. He sends the crowd home. And he only permits Jairus, Peter, James, and John to go from that point on. And when they get to Jairus' house, they're met by a, a whole new crowd. It's a crowd of mourners for the death of the girl. They've already gotten mourners on the scene. And these are, they're being led by professional mourners. Because you see in that culture, to show grief, even the poorest folks would hire professional mourners. And that consisted of at least two flute players, as we say in the business, flautists. Two flute players and a wailing woman. As we say in the business, a wailing woman. So even the poorest people, they get two flute players and a wailing woman, and they would mourn professionally. So they play sad songs. They'd be in minor keys, Kevin, you know, just like it was sad and a woman's wailing. Now, that's the poorest of people, two flute players and a wailing woman. But this guy's a ruler. He's a, he's a ruler of the synagogue. He has means. And so he's going to have more than two flute players and a wailing woman. He might have had a whole orchestra, man. They're out there playing the saddest music, just, you know, I mean, it's just, it's so sad. It is so sad. And the whole congregation, and, and you got all these wailing women. The, the Bible says there was a tumult. The Greek for tumult means a noisy multitude. So there's a crowd. They're making a lot of racket. Uh, it, 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 the text refers to this crowd. It calls them, them all, all of them. Down here we say all y'all, right? It was, it was a whole bunch of them. And, and they're, they're playing sad music. They're wailing. They're emotional. But here's the point. It's not real. They don't feel what they're expressing. It's not from the heart. It's not sincere. This, this became painfully obvious when Jesus walks up and he said, why are you doing this? The girl's not dead. 
she's only asleep. And immediately the tears turn off and they start laughing and ridiculing Jesus. Now the laughter's real, but the tears weren't. That was all fake. They're on the job. They're on the clock. This is an industry, not a ministry. God deliver us from industry in the church and give us ministry in the church. God, don't give us hirelings for crying out loud. Give us ministers. That's a whole other subject. But here they are. They're just hirelings. So he's like, she's asleep. They start making fun. If they cared anything about the girl and the family, when he would have said that, she's not dead, she's asleep, it would have made them mad. And they would have wanted to punch him. There's a fine line between sorrow and anger, right? And so had he said that, it would have been offensive. Like, I want to throat punch him, you know? Like, why are you saying that? She's gone. Stop it. Don't give us falsehood. But they start making fun of him because this is not sincere at all. But Jesus then does something amazing. He says, y'all go home. The big crowd at the house. He's already sent the other crowd away. Now he sends this crazy like, get, kennel up, go on, get out of here. And he, he's basically saying, give me the room. I've already proven, I think, in this message that the crowd is not the problem. Jesus can move in any crowd. I, I used to look at this text. I'm just being honest with you. And I think, like, you've got to get the unbelief out of the room. The unbelief is going to hinder the belief. I, I understand. I get it. Uh, I preached that many times, but this is Jesus. Um, he, he's been in many crowds where people were wanting to kill him, and he's still doing miracles. Now, I know in Nazareth he couldn't do many mighty works because of their unbelief, but he did heal a few sick folks of some things. So did, did his ministry, was it, was it hindered? Like, were there some people that wanted to be healed that couldn't be healed because of other people's unbelief? I don't think so. I think he healed the ones that wanted to be healed and that believe for their healing. So their unbelief didn't stop him from ministering to the ones in the room that wanted the, the healing. I, I used to kind of think it was this atmosphere. We're creating this atmosphere. I get it. Uh, an atmosphere of faith and all this stuff. I, uh, and, and I'm not trying to totally blow that out of the water. But Jesus is not sending the crowd away because they're hindering him. And the girl can't believe she's dead. So it's not like their crowd's hindering her faith. She's gone. And so she and she's at the, the age of accountability in, in that culture. So here, here's what I'm saying. Uh, why did he clear the room? I, I believe there's a pattern here, and I don't have time to develop this, but just hear me. I believe there's a pattern here, and, and patterns in the Bible are prophetic. There's a message encoded in patterns in Scripture, and it's prophetic. And he's clearing the room like we see him do right here. And then in other instances, for instance, when he cleared the temple, he, he, was, well, he, he cleared that room, didn't he? Give me the room. You've made my house a den of thieves. He's like, you money changers? Because they're trying to exchange uh, Greek and Roman coins for uh, 
Hebrew money, and they're ripping people off in the exchange. They're selling them uh, sheep and recycling them, acting like it's a spotless lamb. They're reselling this. They're cheats, li- insincerity in the temple. They're, they don't mean industry, not ministry. Jesus cleared that room. Here he gets rid of all those fake mourners, right? Loan sharks in the temple and professional mourners here who turn on a dime. They don't mean anything they're doing. Elijah cleared the room uh, 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 when he raised the widow's son from the dead. Elisha did the same thing. Remember, Gehazi was after money and and industry and not ministry. He clears the room, right? They cleared the room. We see this in the Old Testament. In the ministry of Jesus, Samaritan woman, I got to go to Samaria. He, He rescues her at a well. He sent everybody away. Cleared the room. They don't understand. They're insincere in dealing with this woman. He sends them away. He clears the room. Woman caught in the act of adultery. Let him who's without sin cast the first stone. They start walking away. Insincere people. They weren't even there about that woman. They were trying to get Jesus on a technicality to get him killed by the Romans. Here's my point. The Bible is showing us the value of clearing the room of insincerity. Of show and fake. Jesus can, can, can move in any setting. Even when doubt is strong. Man let down through the roof. House full of unbelief. Anointing there to heal them. Only heals one. It wasn't. They influenced the one. The one believed. That's all that was needed. Jesus and the man. And he had four friends that believed, thank God. But it, it was it, the crowd didn't hinder. But Jesus is showing us, I think the Scripture shows us, that when you clear the room of insincerity, let me just break this down and I'm done. Stand with me right now. In your own life, if you'll get rid of the insincerity and you'll just break down and get real before God, God can move in, on your behalf And even raise the dead, man. God's power can be manifested in such a powerful way when you get rid of fake and false and pretense and you get real before God and say, here I am, God. I've got some issues. I've got some problems, but I'm bringing them to you. I'm not putting on airs. I'm not being fake. I'm not trying to fake you out. He's you. Listen, God, everything that we do before God, he sees us as naked. He, we're exposed before him. If you'll just come clean with him, I promise you, he can move. If you'll give him the room and get rid of hypocrisy. There's scriptures in the New Testament. I wish I, I could had time to read them, but you lay aside a lot of these things this, and one, like hypocrisy and lying and, and cheating and acting like you're something that you're not if you'll just come clean and get real before the God before the God of the universe and give him the room he can move powerfully he's showing us that the crowd and, and nobody else in the room has to believe every this is the power of the word. This is why Paul on Mars Hill, God knows we were there. We, I hate to say that every time, but like we just were. But we were up on Mars Hill. It's crazy. Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Mars Hill was made of marble, and it was slick because for thousands of years, people have been crawling on it. It was slick, slick. We're like creeping up the side like, oh, Lord. But we got up to the top of Mars Hill. 
and, and Paul was preaching for all these idols. And in the, over his shoulder was the Acropolis, which had the Parthenon and other temples. And he's looking at them. He said, you think God dwells in temples made of stone? You know he's gesturing to the Acropolis and the Parthenon, all these temples. You think he dwells in these temples, these stones? Are you kidding me? No, he's a spirit. He dwells in us, in people. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul would say. But here's, here's what you got to do. You got to kick out the money changers, and you got to kick out the merchandisers, and you got to kick out the fake, and you got to kick out the what can I get out of this, and you got to kick out the insincerity. And that's what, what he's showing here at Jairus' daughter's house, man. You got to give them the room. You got to give them the room. Because none of those people that were kicked out, they, they were insincere. It was, it was, the healing was not going to manifest in their lives. But they'd be welcome if they believed. You've got you to clear your temple of insincerity, faith. You gotta get real. Come on now. I'm talking to somebody today. You gotta you gotta get real with religion. You ain't all that. You deserve to go to hell like a bullet. You've been good, that's great, but you ain't good enough. You got issues, you've made mistakes. You need the Lord. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Now come on now. I am more than a conqueror in Christ. I've been made the righteousness of God. But that's an exchange, not one that I earned. That's an exchange that he has divinely appropriated for me because of the, the finished work of Christ on the cross. That's different. I'm only who I am by the grace of God, but I am who I am. But I, I got to be real with you, Lord. It's not me. It's you. In Jesus' name, would you close your eyes right now? Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.